0: I've had a, a few different types of jobs in my life, and one of those included working for Taco Bell. I went through some management training there, and there was one task as a manager that was a top priority, and that was money deposits. You've seen the stickers on drive through windows that deter theft by saying that the safes only open at certain times of the day. But it was, it was morning when we would gather the money from the safe and take it to the bank. Now, in the management training, there was this video that demonstrated the proper way to safely collect the money. The big no-no is actually surprising, and it looked like this. You count out the money, you fill out the deposit slip, you stuff it all in the deposit bag, and then walk out the door with the bag under your arm. Even though that would be the most natural thing to do... It also would make it easy for someone bigger than you to shove you to the ground and take the money back. Thousands of dollars from the previous day's sales could be lost if someone waited for you in the parking lot and pushed you over and walked away with the cash. Now, that's a a scary thought because you'd be responsible for that money. It would would be on your decision-making. But the right way... The right way was to head to the car after counting out the money deposit and leaving that in the store, and then you go through the drive through as if you were a customer, and then have another employee hand you the deposit bag. Your, your car would offer the reasonable safety standard to get to the bank with the deposit. Now, someone was paid to put that all together and make a video about it. Now, obviously, it's not perfect, and I'm sure some of you are planning your own imaginative heists as you identify the weaknesses of that process, which you would never act upon, of course. But when the responsibility of protecting the assets falls to you, you must strategize and develop the proper means to protect and keep those assets secure. Whether it's money collected from a local fast food place getting to the bank or a special offering collected from a church to help the poor in another city. There are certain questions that are raised and must be answered. There are real concerns that people have when it comes to money and where their money is going to go and who is in charge of it. Administrators think at this level to assess and reduce risks, to build confidence and act honorably and so prove their integrity and responsibility. So our text today looks at this type of foresight and planning into making sure that the collection for the poor in Jerusalem will be completed rightly and honorably. This is not a blind spot for Paul. He is aware of the questions that will arise. He is quick to anticipate the obstacles that cause people to hesitate. In the case of the collection from the Corinthians that Paul himself is overseeing, he calls it an act of grace ministered by us. He wants the, the Corinthians to see the care and effort behind all the parts necessary to complete this great task. So let's turn to our text tonight, 2 Corinthians 8, 16-24. 2 Corinthians 8, 16-24. I'll read this for us and pray. But thanks be to God, who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable. Not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. But who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Blessed be God's word, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we see this interchange of Paul and the Corinthians so that it might teach us how we ought to organize ourselves, what we ought to look for, the expectations that we might have and how we are to care for one another as as brothers and sisters throughout all of your kingdom. We look to you for our hope and our joy and our salvation. We also look to you for our instruction and wisdom so that we may show ourselves to be honorable in your sight and also among men. In your name we pray. Amen. Paul's commendation in this passage of Titus and the other two men offers up a model for us when it comes to collecting funds within the church community. Fundraising is a part of the Christian life. Some seek to raise support for missionary service. Some seek to raise support for an organization that focuses on a people of, of group of people of need. Some seek support for special projects that enable better ways to get the gospel out to the lost. You might be asking your brothers and sisters in Christ to financially partner with you as you follow what God is calling you to do, or you might be the one who has asked for that support. It's fair to say that all of us are in one or the other. We might ask later if we're not asking now, and we might be asked later if we're not asked now. And so whichever side you might be on, it is worthwhile to pay attention to the model that Paul sets before us. Paul's aim here is to demonstrate that as it was from the beginning of the work in Corinth to now when the work is to be completed, the whole process of this collection should be done in an honorable way before God and man, and where Paul has already laid out the integrity of his own ministry and preaching in the sight of God, now he wants the Corinthians to be assured that their generosity will be faithfully taken care of. This is Paul's blueprint for an honorable way to handle the giving of others. He knows that eyes will be watching what happens with this gift. Verse 20 makes that clear. He says, we take this course so that no one should blame us or find fault with us about this generous gift being administered by us. So Paul's blueprint sets their expectations and our expectations and lays the path for honorable support raising. And as he works to assure the Corinthians of what will happen with their giving, we can know how we may conduct ourselves. And so as I've sought to organize this passage, I, I wanted to try to push it into a memorable way. So what I'm calling this, this structure this morning, or this morning, this evening, there we go, the SEC test. Now I've named it the SEC because we have a federal entity called the Securities and And exchange commission, that deals with money. And we're dealing with money today, so I'm trying to connect those ideas for us and calling this the SEC test. As Paul demonstrates what is faithful in asking and then also seeing these works complete. So the SEC test. So first, Paul assures the Corinthians that The work is sealed, yes, sealed in the glory of Christ. And he points this out first in its motivation. So right at the beginning of our text in verse 16, this is how it starts. But thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus. But thanks be to God. Paul loves thanking God for many things. But this exaltation of thanksgiving carries the weight of God's provision in the face of great need. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, But thanks be to God when talking about the change of hearts which were enslaved to sin, but now are open to willful obedience in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ over the attacks of sin and death. Even earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, But thanks be to God, that God spreads the knowledge of Christ everywhere Paul goes as he changes from preaching in Troas to heading to Macedonia. And now here, thanksgiving overflows from Paul as he recognizes God at work in the heart of Titus. It is God who is bringing all of the pieces for this act of grace together, this collection. It's not not only Corinth that he's appealing to, but the Macedonians beg and participate in it. And God was at work in their hearts when they submitted to his will and gave out of their poverty. And God was at work in the Corinthians when they started this task, as each of them was to set something aside on the first day of the week. And now, as Paul is seeking to complete this work, God is at the heart of it, working out all the things together for its completion. And everything God has been present to ensure that all the saints might see their needs provided for. And so it is sealed in Christ's glory in its motivation, but also its purpose. So Paul shows us its purpose in verse 19. He says, For all of it is for Christ's glory, for the glory of the Lord Himself. There is an energy that accompanies a ministry that walks in step with the truth of heaven. Earthly purposes deserve earthly means, but a life poured out for the glory of the King of heaven There is no higher vision. And no matter how many appeals there may be throughout the course of the history of the church as men and women sign up their lives to be lived out for His glory, that vision will never be a cliché. That purpose will forever be great. And it can't be altered so it looks more attractive. It's either magnetic to the hearts of those newly born in Christ. Or it's a bore to the hearts that are dead to sin and sin. Where we might falter in thinking is that this purpose of the glory of Christ, it might not be enough to capture somebody's imagination. But there is no grander purpose afforded to people created in God's image. For it is His purpose, it is the purpose for all that has been created to glorify Him. So its motivation is from God. Its its purpose is for the glory of God. And in its execution, it is sealed for Christ's glory. There is no need to express more than what Paul says in verse 21. He says, we want to act honorably in the Lord's sight The prayers and choices of administration to organize this work is done in the sight of God. Paul knows who judges the heart, and there's no way to hide a secret hunger for greed. There's no way to hide any positioning for self-exaltation. God knows the heart. God is a witness to it all. The planning, the asking, the praying, the giving, the carrying, and the administration of it, all of it is laid out in detail before the throne of God. This is not some fun project for Paul as he seeks to do something helpful with his time, but he believes it's a calling of God, something that he will face judgment for as Jesus examines his life from the throne of heaven. Not only is Paul's teaching subject to scrutiny, but this ministry of the collection as well. Paul is accountable to God along with all those who participate in the process. It's a heavenly-minded way to make everyday earthly choices, to live honorably before the Lord. This acknowledgement raises the stakes. When Paul calls God as a witness to his activity. It's not some vain attempt to puff up some authority he carries as a leader, but instead he is saying, I know that God sees me. And I want you to know that God sees me. And I want you to know that I know that God sees me. The execution of this act of the collection from the beginning to the end is all seen in the Lord's sight. And so Paul is showing us, he's demonstrating before the Corinthians that the whole act is sealed in Christ's glory. It's not, it's not part of his case to only give lip service, but it's to give glory to God. It is a comforting truth to believers to know that they are asked to give And then that is is seen and, and brought through to completion without a risk of it being disconnected from Christ. Appeals that Christians make to raise support must be sealed in the glory of Christ. So those of us who are asking or will ask for support should spend serious time in settling in their own hearts to be against personal acclaim or ambition, because their appeals would come from a divided heart. We must not seek Christ's glory and self-glory, but we must commit ourselves to Christ's glory, to see His name made great. And so as we consider what it would be to ask, may we check our own hearts Accordingly, But this is also an expectation for us as a, a church to, to see the expectations that we should have for collections and support raising. Those who do it must give an honest testimony. Is the purpose for the collection Christ's glory? Or is it somebody who's acting like a politician using Christian words and Jesus language to gain more votes or support? Is the purpose really to partner together to see Christ glorified? Or is it a way to use people and their resources? Let's have our appeals be sealed in the glory of Christ. So not only is it sealed in the glory of Christ, it's the S. we're, We're looking at the E now. So the entrusted to faithful servants. So as we seek to live honorably before others also in the sight of God, we also see that the work is entrusted to faithful servants. Paul describes the three men he is sending to oversee this work among the Corinthians. That's the, the, the whole, whole part of this section is to commend them. Now, I've, I've called these three so that maybe it'll be helpful to remember again I'm calling these three the fellowship of the offering. Get it, it. okay? The fellowship of the offering. Now, they're sent for a specific task, and there's a journey involved, so I think everything checks out. So, uh, the fellowship of the offering. These three men. These these three men are transformed by Christ. All of them mentioned are described according to their work on behalf of the church. Titus, says Paul, is my partner and fellow worker. The unnamed preacher is known for the gift of preaching the gospel. He's not known by name, but he's known by that act. The unnamed third man is commended as a brother. Now, we have a strong desire for everything that we do to be done in excellence, but let's not miss the importance of the pairing of competency and spiritual transformation. You don't have to be a Christian to be great accountant. But because we know what's in the heart of those who do not know Christ, the most assuring way to take care of giving in the Christian community is to have great accountants who also love Jesus. When the church sought to address the needs of all the believers in the book of Acts, Chapter 6, the Apostle said, Brothers, pick out among you seven, of good, seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint for this duty. This is reasonable. After all, it's the Spirit's work to give gifts to the church so that the church can function together. They can operate as a body. The Spirit supplies who is needed. Spirit-filled servants to carry out this act of grace is comforting because as those who have been transformed by Christ, which is those in the church, it's, it's His grace, it's God's grace that helps all of us. Those might be sent for this purpose, those of us who've experienced Christ's work Himself, it's His grace that helps us suppress sin and selfish desire so that that assurance... And that faithfulness of men appointed for the task can be honorable in their sight. So not only are they servants transformed by Christ, but they've been assessed individually. They they are earnest and tested, as we can gather from what Paul commends of them. Earnest is Paul's favorite description in these few verses. Titus and the unnamed brother at the end, so the third Third man mentioned are both described as earnest twice. By the context, earnest is is favorable to commend them because this is a work, the collection itself is a work that needs to be completed. It's not going to be completed in Corinth, though the giving is, but the act is not completed until that gift reaches its destination in Jerusalem. And so it's it's favorable to say of them because earnestness attests to their willingness to complete the job, to finish the work. Now, we can imagine the type of discussion had with those who were with him as they, they assessed the state of the churches, as they considered what the believers were going through at Ephesus or in Philippi. And when they got to Corinth, Paul might have asked Titus to say, you know, please tell us of your time in corinth again it was it was a delight to hear at first, but remind us and as Titus recalled his time in Corinth, his face possibly lit up as he described the reception that he received from them, the expressions of faith and love and their acceptance of sound doctrine and the people he even grew to love and Then Paul expresses in some way that it would be really good to send you, Titus. Since you started this work of collection, we would like to send you back to Corinth because we think that that would be just the, the, the right course of action and Titus might receive that and think over it a moment and maybe slowly nod, but then also ask for some time for prayer, for himself to, to take Into account all it would take to do that. And so, Titus, as he thought through and prayerfully considered, he comes back to the group and he expresses his own confirmation, his own earnestness, that it would be a task that he can commit to and see completed. Now, we don't know the toll of such an undertaking that Titus is committed to. The travel, the dangers, the time. How many days might Titus go without eating on a journey like that? Or what do you do when it's raining and chilly, but you have several hours to walk before you're in a safe area? Each squish of the sandal would be a reminder that he didn't need to go back to Corinth. But Paul says that Titus is Being of himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Titus has been individually assessed as earnest and eager to go. And the same can be said for his companions. There is a sustainable quality to their service, even in these few descriptive phrases that we get, that's commendable because they've shown their steadfastness. They've been tested in their resolve to be men of their word and commitment. The unnamed preacher. Now, we don't know who this really was, and it's always like a curious question. Who is this guy that Paul's saying is a great preacher? And it's a great way to be commended. But commentators speculate, but I think that's a bit of Paul and the spirits. I know, but you don't. Playfulness. Uh, that we won't be able to decipher until we can start investigating this in heaven. But he was a preacher under the scrutiny of the apostles. Can you imagine that? Preaching at the time of the apostles and still reckoned as a faithful and famous gospel preacher among the churches. And he proved a blazing individual in the pulpit. And he increased the fame of Christ rather than himself with a bit of help from Paul because he doesn't record his name. <laughs> and though he is not explicitly described as earnest, he can be proved to be earnest to fulfill his call to ministry and preaching the word. And now this, this third gentleman that we hear of, we come to the unnamed brother who may or may not have been part of the word ministry. Yet he gave himself to the needs made known to him. Paul says in many matters... This man has been found to be earnest and sincere and full of hope. He's confident of God's work among the Corinthians. Even if he had zero participation in it, he may have never been to Corinth, may have never known anyone from there, but he is eager to help. Now, Paul's assessments could, be, could have tended on the, the, the air of being too harsh especially if we reflect on the choices he makes with John Mark and missionary service. But the standards that Paul had, whether they were harsh or whether they were, they were right on point, were high. And so to be weighted and, weighed in many matters and found faithful is a high commendation from Paul. Each man considered is individually accounted for and assessed according to their work and, To benefit the church. But not only are they looked at individually, they're they're appointed, they're sent. Here we get a glimpse of how the early churches worked together in their association with one another. Titus is a distinct partner with Paul, but verse 23 tells us that the other two brothers were messengers, and really the Greek there is apostles of the churches. They were commissioned for a specific task to help with other churches for this collection for Jerusalem. Now, the term apostle means sent one. And there were 12 sent by Christ. Paul, as well, was sent by Christ. But here, the church is appointed also for specific tasks. Now, it might be a little confusing, but the New Testament, it's clear that there's a distinction between what we could call a big A apostle and little a apostles. And because these these gentlemen were appointed for a task. It's the perfect word for it. So the word apostle is a perfect, appropriate word to describe that. But the ESV tries to take a little bit of a softness to that so that they call them messengers, which conveys the same idea but helps us not to trip over that word apostle since it's such an important term and understanding of the ministry of Christ's servants, the apostles, big A. But the point is this. It's assuring for the Corinthians to see the wider church involvement being brought together for this task. Paul isn't sending his cronies in to rob the Corinthians. He's sending men entrusted to complete the work, the fellowship of the offering. are three men transformed by Christ, earnest and tested, as well as sent by the churches. So this, this model of, of and it being secure or sealed in the glory of Christ and entrusted to faithful men, now we come to the C of our SEC test. That it's clear and accountable. So Paul knew all this. Paul knew who he was sending why he was sending he knew that he was operating before the lord but he wanted to operate in an honorable way before men so he took the time to make it clear to the corinthians as it was to himself the transparency and accountability that paul offers here they're both undeniable Titus, whom he is sending, is known to the Corinthians and has already worked among them. Paul is not sending someone new from his group and saying, receive them, but he's sending Titus. These other two men are appointed by the churches to accompany Paul in this task. And so Paul introduces a a third party into this relationship. But not only that, if we turn back to 1 Corinthians 16.3, it shows Paul's desire to have the Corinthians send their own people along to carry this gift to Jerusalem. He says, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So he's not only sending people, he's requesting the Corinthians to bring their own people into the work. And finally, Paul even suggests that it's an option in that 1 Corinthians text in 1 Corinthians 16 that he's showing a willingness to remove himself from the process as the group brings the gift to Jerusalem so that everything can remain above reproach. It's a master class in having that as a core value of being above reproach. Communication in a clear way is just as important as having the right aim and the right people. if you are seeking support, you may have the right heart, and God may have gifted you for the work, but you have to understand the right way to communicate your needs to others. People rightly weigh accountability structures, and so when and if funds are raised, who will assess? The actual work completed. If you're seeking to raise funds, those are the questions that you wrestle with. And these expectations, as Paul has laid out to the Corinthians that we may see them too, they help protect the church body. In a day and age where presentations can be crafted well, with audio, with video, with music, with stories, with visuals, What's going to help us discern to accept this appeal and to reject that appeal? With the situation in Corinth, there are competing narratives that that has Paul reminding the Corinthians of God's work among them, and he wants the Corinthians to use their eyes. Where is it that Paul has gone? Is he sitting at the head of the table so that others are serving him? No. At the beginning of the letter, he was in Asia and he almost died. Is he brandishing his authority to twist the arms of the Corinthians to give? No. Instead, he seeks to knock down obstacles and demonstrate that everything is in order. Everything is honorable. And this is the way that he lays it out so that the counterfeits can't gain traction. There are swindlers and cheats who would seek to plant themselves among the sheep to take advantage of that wonderful biblical generosity of believers. But if we have these expectations, they'll find a difficult time trying to gain traction to cheat others in their giving. But as Paul has demonstrated clarity and accountability, he also calls the Corinthians to act. In verse 24, he says this. He says, So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. The Corinthians are called to participate in their reception of the fellowship of the offering. Is that last time? It's a demonstration of love and faith to receive these men. So, as we look at how Paul has organized this collection and what he has laid out as what is honorable to the Corinthians so that they can have the confidence and assurance that their gift will find its end in Jerusalem, how will we proceed as a part of of the community of Christ when needs are made known to us. Now, we should not groan when we are asked to give beyond our general contribution to the church. We should live with an expectation for it. An option for you might be this, to make your own plan to gather your family together and tell them you have $1,000 this year to donate to a cause that supports the message of Jesus. And as a family, we're going to choose that distribution together. And so that sacrificial offering to the Lord is an exercise of worship, not for you, but for your whole family. That's a way that we can act out in the community of Christ. And we can proactively prepare to give like that, or, but we should also have real expectations when anyone asks that we give. Are they giving lip service to Christ, or are they sold out for His glory? That's an honest question that we can ask somebody who is asking us to give. Another question is, are they wanting to see their ministry influence grow, or are they really seeking for the body of Christ to flourish? Now, when someone requests that you give, it's okay to ask where the money will go. If the Apostle Paul isn't above making that clear, then I'm not sure anyone is above that question. We all should keep things reasonable and honorable. Those who prepare and ask should be honest in the messaging of where their support will go. Those of us who are asked should expect to understand something about how their contribution is handled. It's not honorable to be finicky and not committal and unclear. I'll close with uh, two, two pictures here. Consider this scenario that happened with a church. A church had raised significant funds to replace furnaces for the church building. After the funds were raised, for some reason it was found out that there was a a much simpler fix for a much smaller price than what was raised. Initially, that sounds like a great thing, right? But what about all of the ownership for the task? What about the praying and the sacrificing and the urging and the encouraging to get something great done as a church body because of that great need? Those who gave much, those who had little gave even though it hurt. What was an incredible bonding and joyful time for the church became an unsatisfying letdown. The ship was prepared to cast off with haste and joy, but the wind died down before it ever left the port. And worse still, it wasn't clear on how the rest of the special fund was used. And it sowed distrust among the church. And that distrust was left to linger. It remained unresolved until a business meeting where all the suppressed emotions spilled out into an ugly mess. There were tears. There were apologies. And thankfully, there was forgiveness because Christ was at work. But when a task is started, by God's grace, let's work to complete it together in an honorable way so that it might pass the SEC, that it is sealed In the glory of Christ and entrusted to faithful servants and clear and accountable. Because this work that Paul is seeking to to have among the Corinthians and to have among the churches and this provision for the poor in Jerusalem is like a chandelier being hoisted up by these, these chains. Of, of participating parties, whether it's the Macedonian churches, whether it's the Corinthians, whether it's the fellowship of the offering. That was the last time I, I promise All of these chains are, are hoisting up this grand chandelier that's a testimony to God's glory in this act of this special offering to provide for God's people. It's a work that they all participated in. And so as we seek to carry on the name of Christ and to see people come to faith in him, let us act honorably when it comes to money so that we might be a vastly different community than the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for the joy it is to know you and to be your your body. Help us to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear of needs that we may come alongside, sacrificially give, and see you be glorified. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.